This week's reading is taken from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith, On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is God's word. And thank you. Uh, good evening, good evening, one and all. Um, if we've not met, my name's Matt. It would be lovely to meet you at some point. Uh, if you are visiting tonight uh, or for the first couple of weeks, uh, you are very welcome. I hope you do um, uh, greet someone or someone greets you. Uh, this might be perhaps the chance or the beginning of um, uh, many years here at Christchurch Mayfair. I've been here, I think, 15-odd years. Uh, I like it. Um, I think we are a deeply flawed bunch of people but uh, who love the Lord, trying to love one another, uh, and it's a joy to be here. But uh, we're in Galatians. Uh, If you're joining us, we're working our way through this book of Galatians, and uh, here we are in um, chapter 3, and um, it's terrific stuff. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, thank you for... Uh, your word. Thank you that you're a God who speaks in a way that utterly transforms us. And we pray this evening that we would hear with faith, as these Galatians did at first. We would hear with faith. We would believe what we hear in a manner which transforms us from death to life, transforms us in our behavior. Father, by your spirit, would we have ears to hear, we pray, so that as you speak, our lives are utterly transformed. We pray it for our good and your glory. Amen. Well, tonight we have somewhat of a binary choice. And um, it's this. You either choose God's promises or my own efforts. It's a binary choice. Like, um, it seems to me most Sunday supplements now give a binary choice to their various celebrities in banal categories. So, uh, telly. Is it Sherlock or Strictly? whatever it is, then you have to choose between one or the other. Drinks, is it cup of tea or a cortado? Um, what's it going to be? Holidays, is it lying on the beach or is it climbing a mountain? It's a binary choice. 
Yes, it's, you've got to choose one or the other. Biblically, here's your choice. Do I rely on God's promises or my own efforts? That's the choice. It's the choice that uh, Galatians 3 will throw up. It's the choice that really the whole Christian faith is built upon. It's a choice you, you grow in your faith by. Do I trust the promises of God or my own efforts? It's binary. One path or the other. Now, there's uh, lots of uh, rich theology in our text tonight, so I just want to start off by being very simple and giving you the headline quite clearly, uh, and then we'll get back to the detail. But the headline, uh, I guess, would come in verse 13. Let's go there, uh, and then we'll go back and work through the passage. But here's the headline, I guess. Chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to Gentiles like us. Jesus took our curse so we might receive his blessing. That's the heart of the Christian faith. Now, what's it? Of course, that's not that complicated. The Christian message is that no one will ever live a life which is good enough for God. He is glorious, absolutely perfect, magnificently so. And you and I are mixed. We're deeply flawed. There's some good stuff, there's some bad stuff. But instinctively, what we would tend to do is um, underestimate God's perfections, so we bring him down, and we overestimate our goodness, so we pull ourselves up and say, well, God looks at me because I'm all right. I'm sort of on the same level as him. We bring him down and pull ourselves up. Let me give you a terrible example. Um, the, uh, the other week, uh, some of the staff went out for dinner, and um, I might borrow Loz. Uh, uh, Pete Snow, who uh, led us this evening, he, uh, he ordered food. It was a Turkish restaurant, and he ordered for our table this vast platter. It was a sort of combined, you know, it was about enough meal for ten, but it came, and it was this little table of four. And you look at it and think, oof, quite a lot of food. But as I looked around the table, I was there, I'm good with food. Uh, my friend Loz, do join me, demonstration, categories. Loz was there. <laughs> Loz is well known as being excellent as a consumer of food. Is that fair? That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so as we looked at this, I mean, it was this vast platter of both carbs and meat and some vegetables. Um, this vast platter. We looked upon it, I think it's fair to say, and thought, there's a lot of food there, but we'll do that. That'll all go, that'll all go. Now, we had underestimated the quality, the richness of the food. We had overestimated the capacity of our stomachs. And so after about 45 minutes, you know, and you sort of go at it for 20, and then you sort of go a bit more slowly, and then sort of the pleasure is all gone, it's just the challenge. It's all about, <laughs> it's all about the challenge. Uh, after about 45 minutes, you know, we all look around the table and go, Ooh. and admit defeat. That's all right, they gave us a doggy bag, didn't really count as eating at all. But uh, we underestimated the quality of the food, overestimated. That is what we do morally. So we say, oh, God, he's all right. He's a bit like us, a bit like a human. And we bring him down. We underestimate his perfections, his glory. And we overestimate our goodness, 
and say, if there's a God, he'll accept me, because I'm kind of on the same level. So we approach God on that basis, our own efforts, my own efforts, if you can't read that. There we go. Two good things he's good at. Um, uh, that's what, well done. Well done. Don't, don't overstrain yourself. The, um, and that's how most of us instinctively approach God. Our own efforts, our own works, our works of the law, we could take it. Now, if we take our own record before God, it's not good enough. One day, all of us stand before God in legal language, we stand before his judgment seat, and the verdict upon us is either condemned or justified. Those two opposites. Condemned, guilty, under a curse, the language we use tonight. Or justified, perfect, blessed. So naturally, we come before the Lord, and all of us are under a curse. One man has lived a perfect life. One man truly could stand before God and say, I deserve heaven. This is Jesus. Perfect. He's lived a perfect life. And so he is blessed or he deserves blessing. But what are we told? Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for as it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. He deserved blessing. We're under a curse. And what happens upon the cross is just that very simple exchange. So simple humans like you and me, we get Jesus' blessing. And he takes for us our curse. And that's the message of the cross. Jesus took the curse, so we receive his blessing. And that is what Paul is going to drive into us tonight. So you and I have a choice. Do we trust in God's promise of the gospel? Christ has taken curse, we receive blessing. Do we trust that? Or do we come before the Lord trusting our own efforts? That's our choice. If you've not met Loz, he's on the student team. He's terrific. See him later. But for now, I think I'll be the blessed one. (laughs) Otherwise, he's got to stand up here all night, and that would be a bit unfair. That's not only a choice that we make as we become Christians. It is the choice you make for salvation. Do I trust God's promises, or do I rely on my own works? It is functionally the choice that you and I make every day whether we call ourselves a Christian or not. So we wake up in the morning and say, we don't, but we could say, I either trust God's promises or I trust my own efforts. And as we wake up and say, well, I'm going to trust my own efforts today. And we might think to ourselves, well, today was, yesterday was a pretty good day. We might think to ourselves, you know, one, um, well, I'm holding out a good job. People are impressed with me at work. I have plenty of friends I am moral, I am virtuous, and feel good about ourselves. Or we could have had a bad day and say, well, I trust myself, but yesterday was, well, I bogged it. I completely screwed that piece of work up. And everyone knows. And I've got to go into work today. It's a bit embarrassing. And I've been working so hard, 
I don't know who my friends are anymore. I've got no plans for the weekend. Oh, I'm a loser. Now, if you trust in your own efforts, your own performance, it goes up, goes down, but it'll vary. Or you trust in God's promise upon your life. Whatever happens to you, you are blessed in Jesus Christ. You belong to me. I love you, regardless if you have good days or bad days, moral days, immoral days. I love you. Trust in my promise. You deserve curse, but Jesus has taken your curse and you receive his blessing. And functionally, we have a choice, that choice to make each and every day. Let's get into the text. Galatians then. Uh, If you are joining us, we're in this book of Galatians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul writes uh, in the first century to people who are drifting. They're drifting away from the gospel. uh, And therefore, they're in trouble. The gospel which says, if you put your faith in in the message of Jesus Christ, you are justified, blessed. Now, some others have come into the, uh, to the region of Galatia and are saying, mm, maybe, it's almost right. Actually, what you have to do to be a Christian is put your faith in Jesus Christ and keep works of the law. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep various Sabbath things. It's, you have to, faith plus obedience equals salvation, say the false teachers. And Paul comes along to reassert, no, no, no. Faith in Jesus Christ and you're saved, justified, blessed. So that's the debate in one sense, or, or the issue of the book. Uh, put it this way, imagine uh, for some reason you're on a, you, um, you don't like flying and you take a cruise ship from, uh, from uh, ports and you think, I'm going to sail to New York. And it's going to take you a little bit of time on this cruise ship, but hey, it's luxury and so that's okay. And about a third of the way into the journey, you're admiring the view and uh, for some reason you have a moment and you fall into the ocean. And uh, it's quite a big cruise line, and no one really notices. Uh, hello, hello, hello. It's, there's just too much noise. And so the cruise liner goes on, and there you are in the ocean thinking, pants. I haven't even got a life jacket. I haven't even got a whistle and a light. I haven't got anything. Uh, and you're stuffed, and you will die in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Ah, wonderfully, a boat comes past just an hour later and uh, picks you up, and you say, thank you so much. And uh, they take you another thousand miles or so. And when you're about a thousand miles off the, uh, off the coast of the States, you say, thank you so much for saving me. I would have been dead but for you. But now, I'm doing the last bit. I've got a big tub of lard from the, uh, from the kitchen. I'm going to slather myself up and uh, go for it. And I'm going to swim a thousand miles. Good luck with that. And that's essentially in salvation terms what the false teachers were saying. It's good to be saved, but to get to heaven, you've got to do the rest yourself. It's faith in Jesus Christ plus your own efforts that'll get you there. And Paul says, you just stick in the boat. You just trust in Jesus Christ to get you all the way. Don't rely on yourself. You can't do that. As soon as you say, yeah, I trust Jesus and my own labors, you're taking route two. And remember, it's binary. God's promises, your own effort. As soon as you add in your own effort, you're on that path. And you're under a curse, of Paul. Look, I'm going to wander, so we'll take us through the text. And um, there's a few notes on the back of your sheet, uh, which uh, show you where we're going. Essentially, there's two blessings. 
one curse, and so you've got to trust the promise. We'll come back to verses 13 and 14. Two blessings, one curse, and you've got to trust the promise. Let's go to it then. First then, verses one to five, believing God's promises, that's how you receive the Spirit, Paul tells the Galatians. Right? Believing God's promises is how you received the Spirit. Chapter three, verse one. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Not literally, but the message was so vivid, so real to them. It felt that way. So here's the question, verse two. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by what you did, or by believing what you heard? Obviously, it was by believing the gospel promise that the Spirit came to dwell within you. And so, verse 3, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish off by means of the flesh? That is your own efforts. You think you start by believing the promises, but you get all the way to heaven by your own efforts? Well, best go get that lard and smother yourself up and start swimming, because that's what you're trying to do. You fools. No, verse four. Look, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Your own experience of being Christians, of the spirit working within you, is because you trusted God's promise not because of your own behavior. Why are you changing now? I would say this week, just maybe sort of maybe think a little bit. This may be slightly pedantic, but if you went to a Christian camp in the UK within a certain era, there was a song that we, you'd, you'd have sung. All Christian camps sung them when you went as a kid. Trust and obey. It wasn't great. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, <laughs> but to trust and obey. I mean, it's quite memorable. It still sticks in my head. Um, now, in one sense, that's perfectly fine. As long as you don't pull those two apart too much. As long as you don't say you, you, you trust to begin the Christian life and you obey to complete it. Uh, perhaps more accurate theologically, if I was being a bit nerdy, if you trust, you'll obey. If you trust, you'll obey. No, no, no. Because um, that's how Paul explains the gospel. If you trust in the promises of God, you will obey. There's transforming power. We'll come back to that. But look, uh, believing God's promises, he says to the Galatians, that's how you receive the Spirit. Why would you change now? Second blessing, look. Believing God's promises is how Abraham was blessed. So he argues from their experience, one to five. Now let's go back to the Old Testament, six to nine. The great Old Testament hero, Abraham, verse six. So also Abraham, just the same as you. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He trusted God's promises just like you and he was justified, righteous, same word. Now, we could have had it read. Uh, in, it's a reference back to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, um, God gives a promise to Abraham. 
and says, look, Abraham, you're 100 years old and your wife is 90 years old and you haven't had kids, so it ain't looking so good for you. However, you will have a child. In fact, if you look up at the sky, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. One, two, oh, there's a lot of them. Yes, Abraham, but I'm 100 and my wife's 90. I mean, we're struggling to get up the stairs to our bedroom, let alone, come on. How is that possible? But we're told in Genesis 15, there's a promise. You will have many descendants. Abraham trusted the promise. He said, okay, Lord, I trust you. And so God declared him righteous, blessed, right before him. Not because he'd achieved anything, done anything. He just trusted God's promise. He wasn't relying on his own efforts. He trusted God's promise. And it's the same here, says, uh, says Paul. Look, it's just the same. So uh, understand then that those who are faith are children of Abraham, just the same. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and faith, announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What did Abraham do? Why was he blessed? He trusted God's promise. He didn't rely on his own efforts. Quite the same, but if, if uh, you are having problems, say, with uh, your heart, oh no, so, yeah, a heart, and uh, you went to the doctors and they said, actually, you need, you need, a, you know, you need a bypass, you've got problems, you've got arteries clogged, you need a, you need a bypass, serious surgery. But I'm international expert, you know, I will heal you. Well, you have a choice. You can trust your own efforts to get healthier, I guess, or you can say, no, I trust you, doctor. And the moment you have that blissful experience of going off under a general anesthetic and they say, count to three, one, two. Um, that is a real moment of trust. I trust your promise to heal me. And I do nothing. That's Abraham. Abraham believed God's promise and that's how he was blessed. So two blessings he talks about. Look, let's just, your, your experience, how do you receive the Spirit? By trusting God's promises. Abraham, how was he blessed? By trusting God's promise. Okay. By contrast, verses 10 to 12, relying on your own works means you're cursed. Verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now notice here in verse 10, the issue is relying on the works of the law. There's nothing wrong with keeping God's laws in the right place, but you know, the psalmists can say, oh God, I love your law, wonderful, wonderful. But thinking that you can be saved just by keeping rules, relying on that, relying upon your own efforts, oh no, that puts you under a curse. Swimming, lovely thing to do. Lovely thing to do. Enjoy it in the right context. Try and swim to the USA. Good luck with that. You're under the waves at some point. And so Paul is saying here, look, if, if you take this route of self-reliance, of obeying the law in that sense, you've got to keep it 100%. Because cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do everything 
written in the book of the law. The law is like a sheet of glass. One mistake and the whole thing shatters. You get a a chip in your windscreen if you're a driver. It's just such a small thing, but it spreads, it spreads, it spreads. uh, And the whole thing shatters. If you take the root of self-reliance, you've got to keep the law 100%. Fail once, you're under God's curse. Don't go down that route. If you think your own efforts at obedience are acceptable before God, you have no idea who he is. You've, You've pulled him down and you've pushed yourself up if you take that route. No, verse 11, look, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. That's what the Old Testament taught in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. And verse 12, it's a slightly trickier verse, but he says, verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. That's a reference you can look down at Leviticus 18.5. The person who does these things will live by them. Can we just be clear? In the Old Testament, you're never saved by what you do. God gives his law as a response to his action. And at the risk of simplifying, in the Old Testament, they, they do relate to God through his law, but, but the law has sort of two halves to it. One are rules, one half is rules, and the other half are sacrifices. And so Israel tries to keep the rules. Do not lie, do not steal, do not covet. But when they fail to keep the rules, they say, oh Lord, we failed. But we trust in your promises that when we offer a sacrifice for our sins, a pigeon, a goat, a bull, a, a, a sheep, when we offer a sacrifice for our sins, you forgive us. So we try and keep the law, but when we fail, it's all right. There are sacrifices. Paul says, now that Jesus has come, he's the sacrifice. So that part of the law is gone. Now if you try to keep God's law, all that's left is rules. There are no sacrifices left. Jesus is the final sacrifice. So forgive me for oversharing a little bit. Um, But um, I found it a little bit similar. Let's see if this works for you. A little bit similar to my own own fitness regime in that uh, I like to swim. And uh, most of the time I'll swim four or five times a week, uh, get in the pool and uh, in and out as quickly as I can. But, uh, you know, do, do a decent amount of time. And I reckon I need to eat about three thousand odd calories. And those things sort of even one another out. That's okay. The problem was, at the end of July, they shut my local pool to slightly rebuild it. July, so August was out, September was out. We're now into October. And I'm still eating kind of the same. And so the, the, the blessing of exercise is gone. And I'm still consuming the same. And so I'm just feeling, you know, the, the pinch uh, a little bit. Uh, forgive me for oversharing if that's um, uh, inappropriate. But the law of God in the Old Testament had rules and sacrifices. Once the sacrifices are gone, because Jesus fulfills them, you, you can't relate to God just on the basis of rules. You can't do that, is what Paul is saying here. The sacrifices don't work. You can't relate to God through self-reliance. So relying on your own works means you're cursed, 10 to 12. So what we're left with, verses 13 to 14, here is the way. Now for you and for me to relate to God. You trust God's promise that Christ became a curse so that we become blessed. Verse 13. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. In the Old Testament, you can read the details. The, um, uh, if you commit a capital offense, uh, murder or adultery in those days, if you commit a capital offense, um, then you're stoned to death. And then your body was hung up on a pole or a tree for everyone to see. You don't do that. You, you don't commit murder. Not in our community. Oh, yeah, it was a serious thing. So Jesus took that. In fact, if you read it carefully, it's not just that Jesus took the curse. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the Lord by, by becoming a curse for us. He became the curse. I think, no, for my money, no one puts this more clearly than Martin Luther, the reformer, was he writing 500 years ago. Here's his comment on chapter 3, verse 13. This Christ became a curse. God sent his son into the world, heaped all the sins of all men upon him, and said to him, you, be Peter the denier, be Paul the persecutor, the blasphemer, the assaulter, be David the adulterer, be the thief on the cross. In short, be the person of all men. Be the one who committed the sins of all men. He became curse. And the reason that matters is because we get the flip side. We become righteous. It's a status that can never, ever be lost. Trusting in Jesus Christ is more than just forgiveness. It's more than just a fresh start. It is positively being viewed as perfectly righteous as Jesus was. So it's not as if Jesus is plus one and we're minus one and on the cross they sort of level one out, that's all sort of zero now. No, but there's a complete exchange. We get his perfection, his blessing, and he takes our curse. That is wonderful. Let me apply it with two questions, then we're done. First, how does God view me? Well, you have a choice. You either trust your own efforts or you trust God's promises. If you're trusting in the promises of God, how does God view you? You are perfectly righteous. You could not be any more so. It doesn't, you can't go up and down. You are perfect. You are blessed. It cannot change. Now, anyone who's remotely self-aware will look within themselves and think, well, you know, I'm not a great person today. I, I've been pretty mean. You know, today wasn't a bad day, but still I was pretty mean to my housemate. I couldn't be bothered to speak to my parents. I lied a little bit on the phone to someone, and, you know, I was pretty angry about that. Even today, how does God view me? He loves you with the same love he had for you yesterday when you thought you were very good? Does God ever look down upon me with, with anger? Uh, does he ever uh, hold anything against me? No, no, you are blessed. Christ became curse, so you become righteous, perfect in his sight. The Father can only ever look down upon you and smile. Oh, but what happens when we sin? Oh, when we sin, we're, yeah, we're a bit mucky, but it's, it's like a parent of uh, approaching a toddler, a two-year-old, who's just got 
snot all over their face or tomato pasta all over their face and all over their arms and all over their bib which they're wearing and the two-year-old somehow escapes from the chair and uh, approaches mother and says and mum says let me give you a little bit of a clean a little wipe with the flannel but I love you I don't reject you I still love you or the child is a little bit older and he puts a, a football through the window uh, and smashes dad's favourite vase, whatever. And um, and child goes, oh, dad won't love me anymore. Yes, he'll love you. He'll tidy up the mess. He might be disappointed for a while, but he'll love, his, his love doesn't change. You can't lose that. Christ has taken all your curse. There is nothing more You become blessed in him. How does God view me? He loves you. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ. Secondly, how do I make progress as a Christian? Paul alludes to this in the first five verses here. How do I make progress? It isn't trust to be saved, obey to make progress. It's not that. You make progress in the Christian life the same way you become a Christian. You fundamentally trust the promises of God. Well, let me put it in these terms. A young woman leaves university, and uh, uh, her father is wildly successful uh, uh, businessman who runs his own corporation, and says to his 22-year-old, right, uh, come for a super, super, super rapid promotion, and here you are, I've given you a place on the board. Uh-oh. But dad, I am woefully woefully prepared for a place on the board. There is no way I deserve that. I will completely be exposed. Yeah, you're right. Three routes you could go down. I'm sure there are many more. One will be the Galatian route, where she could say, Daddy, thanks for getting me here. Now I'm here. I'm going to make it. I'm going to show them. Just through my own youthful zeal, I'm going to persuade this board of a multi-billion pound company that they should listen to me. I, de- I will show them that I deserve to be in. Mm, 22? Mm, probably not. You're pretty clueless. That's not going to go work if you rely upon yourself. That's the sort of Galatian heresy way. Second route you might try to go down, and also not a good one, is just pure gratitude. And I think this is the one where Christians most often get it wrong. I think, okay, the way I'm going to make progress in the Christian faith is say, I'm really grateful for what God has done, and therefore I'll obey. Now, that's half a truth. But it's still quite self-reliant. And sometimes can become, look, I know what God's done for me, and now I have to obey him. I'm obliged to obey him. I have no choice but to obey him because he's done, gone and died for me. I know, I know. I've heard it since I was a child. He's done this for me, so I ought to be thankful, so I ought to live my life for him. I know. And often that's how it can kind of go. It doesn't quite work. Whereas what Paul is saying, what you keep, need to keep on doing, how do you think the Spirit will continue to be at work in your life? It's if you trust God's promises. If you believe what you hear. So in my little illustration, it's the daughter thinking, saying, Dad, I need help. And Dad saying, yeah, of course you do. Look, I've put you on the board, but I'm not leaving you alone. You wouldn't manage on your own. I'm going to sit next to you. 
And when you don't understand anything, I'll whisper in your ear. Uh, And when we leave the meetings, I'm going to coach you and coach you and coach you and explain everything to you. Uh, And you will change and you will have insight and you'll be able to contribute. Uh, And actually, you'll you'll become a sensible part of this board. But you ought to keep listening to me. Yeah, Dad, I can do that. I'll just keep trusting your promises. I am thankful, but I need to keep trusting you and keep listening to you. I need your promises to keep going. All very good in theory, practical. Let me give you one example just because it was in the paper this week. I read in the paper this week that uh, young people 18 to 30 are more anxious than ever. Um, that's a great headline. Actually, if you punch into the numbers, everything's gone up by about 0.2% or 0.1%. So, you know, really, not, not a huge amount compared to last year. But anyway, uh, young people are more anxious than ever. So feel anxious, because that's what the papers want you to do. Uh, feel anxious. The, the top three reasons, uh, Brexit, um, uh, you know, uh, the ability to buy a house, will I ever buy a house? Uh, and three, my current financial position, I seem to be in debt. Those are the top three things. Now, you might think to yourself, Oh, I am anxious. The Bible says, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Right. I'm just not going to be anxious. I'm never going to be anxious again. I'm just going to do it in my own strength. Good luck with that. Anyone ever found that works? Bit of self-help? Bit of gazing in the mirror? I'm not anxious. I'm a tiger. That sort of approach. That never works. You can say, I'm not going to be anxious because Jesus died for me. Uh... Well, that's good, but how, how do... I'm not going to be anxious because I'm going to trust God's promises. I'm going to, as Paul puts it uh, in the first half of our reading tonight, chapter 3, uh, I'm going to keep hearing with faith. I'm going to keep believing what I've heard. That's how the spirits are working me. So I'm going to trust the promises of God. I'm going to look at Matthew 6 where Jesus says, look, God clothes the, the, the flowers of the fields. He feeds the birds. He knows what you need. Your father knows what you need and he'll provide you. I'm going to dwell upon that, the promises of God. I'm going to listen to whatever, Romans 8.28. I know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So life isn't great for me at the moment. I, do, I, I, am, I am being squeezed a bit financially, but, but I know there's purpose and that God will provide for me. I'm going to dwell upon Hebrews 13, verse 5. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to drive that into my head. Never will I leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord, so you can be free from anxiety about money. That's the context, Hebrews 13. I'm going to dwell upon the promises of God. And that is how I change in the Christian life. How does God view me? He loves me. I'm blessed. Because Jesus was cursed. And I can never lose that. How do I make progress in the Christian life? I keep trusting God's promises. Not my own efforts. I don't begin the Christian life by faith. And make progress just through my own strength. I keep trusting God's promises. And as I trust, he'll enable me to obey by his spirit. But that is a binary choice that you and I face every day. It's how you enter the Christian life. Am I going to rely on my own efforts? I'm under a curse. Am I going to trust in God's gospel promise that Jesus took the curse so I may be blessed? Wonderful. That's how you become a Christian. And that's the choice we face every day. Trust myself. Trust the promises of God. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law 
by becoming a curse for us. Verse 14, he redeemed us so in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So by faith we receive and keep on enjoying the work of the Spirit. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, the promises you make in Jesus Christ are so wonderful, sometimes we struggle to believe they're true. Can it be really true that no matter what we've done, we're still beloved by you? Yes. Father, help us to trust your gospel promise and not our own efforts when we think of how does God view me? And then, Father, in our daily walk, would we not assume that we can make progress in our own strength? Would we come back and trust your promises in Scripture in every area where we're struggling? And as we trust in you, would your Spirit enable us to obey? Father, would we do so for our good, for the honor of your name, for our joy and genuine delight, which brings honor to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.